Welcome to Beyond the Wins and Losses, a podcast discussing the Michigan difference with sports. Working together, the University of Michigan Athletic Department and the Ross School of Business Executive Education will strive to give our listeners an insight into the value of sports as a tool in society, business, and everyday life. As Wolverine coaches, student athletes, and the Michigan Ross Executive Education professors and administrators discuss this important link for personal and team growth. Now, here is our host, Bruce Modek. Welcome, my name is Bruce Mate, former longtime publicity director for the University of Michigan Athletic Department and host of these podcasts, The Michigan Difference in Sports. Along with me will be Kim Cameron today, the William Russell Key Professor of Management and Organizations in the Ross School of Business and Professor of Higher Education in the School of Education. For more than 150 years, the University of Michigan student-athletes and coaching staff have used these lessons learned in sports to develop doctors, dentists, CEOs, COOs, astronauts, and even a president of the United States. During these podcasts, the Ross School of Business Executive Education Office and the University of Michigan Athletic Department will bring athletes, coaches, and administrators to the table to discuss what attributes sports brings to the table. Every individual has an interesting yet different story. We hope these conversations will give our listening audience an understanding of the importance of sports in today's culture. Professor Cameron is an expert on that subject. He co-authored the book Diagnosing and Changing Organizational Culture with Robert Quinn. He has written or edited 15 scholarly books and been published in more than 130 academic articles. He received a bachelor's degree and a master's degree from BYU. He later went on to earn a master's degree and a PhD in administrative sciences from Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, and Kim also knows sports, having played college basketball at Brigham Young University. And with today's discussion, we will talk to one of the winningest softball coaches in NCAA history, head coach from the softball team here at the University of Michigan, Carol Hutchins. She uh, is in her 35th season at the helm of the University of Michigan softball program. She is the winningest coach in NCAA softball history. Hutchins has guided the Wolverines to an NCAA title and 20 Big Ten Conference titles, and she has uh, also solidified her spot among the top softball programs in the country when she was inducted into the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association Hall of Fame in 2006. As she uh, is in her 35th season, she has almost 1,600 wins. She owns more wins than any other coach in any division in NCAA softball history. But in 2005, probably the biggest feather in her cap, the Michigan team became the first program east of the Mississippi River to claim the NCAA championship when it defeated UCLA in the championship series. Not only 20 Big Ten titles, but 10 Big Ten conference tournament titles, and she has qualified with her team for the NCAA tournament 26 times. Every four-year player since 1991 recruiting class has been to the NCAA softball tournament. She is a Michigan State graduate. 1979, she graduated. She displayed her athletic talents in both basketball and softball, helping the Spartans the 1976 Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women's National Softball Championship. And in 2003, she was chosen as the recipient of the Nell Jackson Award, considered the highest honor 
The Michigan State Varsity S Club can give a female alumna up for professional accomplishments and community service. She was also inducted in the Greater Lansing Athletic Hall of Fame in July 2000 and the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame in 2011. Hutch, welcome to the podcast, and Kim, welcome back Thank to the... You, you know, it's been a long time that you've been a coach. <laughs> I, it sure <laughs> sounds like it. But I think, you know, when we talk about a long time, it seems like it was almost uh, uh, another... Uh, it was another century ago, but it was really an, an, another culture ago when you were brought in. Uh, Title IX was just being brought about in the early 1970s. You were playing in the AIAW. And um, tell us the story, I think, first before we get started, because it's a story I don't think a lot of people uh, hear a lot about, especially from a coach, how you got hired by Don Canham here. Well, it is a long story. Um when you think about, I went to high school in the early 70s, and in 1972 is when t Title IX was passed, and like any other high school student, I don't pay attention to what's going on in Congress, but it was within a few years that um, there was a lot of rumblings, and I was a very active young woman. I wanted to play every sport, but the irony is I never played high school softball because we didn't have it. We didn't have sports for the girls, and I was a cheerleader in high school because the only sports available were basically club sports. I played club basketball, which was my first love. And I only played summer softball in a very competitive women's league, even though I was only 16. So there wasn't much available for us. And uh, I went on to Michigan State, which had, um, well, we thought we were varsity sports, but come to find out it wasn't varsity. I didn't get a varsity letter until 2001 when they awarded us all um you know, they grandfathered us in. So I come from when we thought the women's sports was definitely not the same as men's sports because it wasn't. And Title IX was very reluctantly received by athletic directors all over the country. They had to add women. They had to start being equitable in the treatment of women in sport, although the law itself was not is not a sports law. It is an educational amendment. It only was really to integrate more women into faculty and into universities to begin with. And so this was kind of an offshoot that I don't think anybody saw coming. And so I was part of that era that just was so thrilled to get to be on a team. When I went my high school senior year, I finally got to play varsity basketball. We were finally a state high school sponsored sport. And um, so I went through my college career and uh, went on to become a graduate assistant at Indiana University um, under a legendary coach there, one of the greatest ever, Gail Blevins, um, a Hall of Famer well before me and one of my great mentors. And uh, I ended up uh, getting a call from Bob DeCarolis in 1982. He was looking for an, an assistant coach. And he did want to hire a female. He wanted to see a female end up taking over this program. And he brought me along. And after two years, um, he sent me in to meet Mr. Canham, who I'd never met. And as I tell people, I came here to work as the assistant softball coach in 1982. I had a master's degree. I just finished my master's at Indiana. And I came here for $3,000 for the year. And my mother said, well, I thought you were going to get a real job now. And I said, don't worry, Mom, it'll work out. And um, 
Mr. Cannon, when I went in to meet him, he asked me, well, how much do you make? And I told him, I make $3,000. And he said, well, how do you live? I said, well, I have a couple other jobs. I worked at the M-Den, which is now the M-Den at West Dining Gates. I worked at the Wiffle Tree my first few years. And, you know, it was my dream to be a college. I loved college athletics, and I loved college softball. I wanted to coach. And so we immediately called Carol Coppersmith into the office, give her some more money, and he, I could double my salary sitting there. <laughs> but then he asked me if I was ready to be the head coach, and I was 26 years old, so of course I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's arguable, but I um, then became, at the end of that year, Bob stepped down to be a full-time administrator. Of course, he went on to be an athletic director, as we know, and uh, I don't know. I guess it worked out. You know, Kim, you're, you're listening to this story, and as Hutch pointed out, the Title IX was not intended to be a sports law. And what you were seeing at that time was to get more individuals into faculty, more women into the faculty business. Also, how is this now, when you, when you watch this, because you're of our age and you watch this kind of develop, how have you seen you know women coming into business and do you hear the same basic stories like Hutch has because of how they've had to develop and how they've had to grow? We, our faculty is, when we hire a faculty member, it's always a doctoral student or a person who's gotten a doctoral degree and then comes out. We hire sometimes uh, people who have been out two or three or four years. The major criteria we use is, number one is, are you a world-class scholar? <coughs> and so... Attracting women into PhD programs some number of years ago was the big challenge. Now there are more women PhD programs in my field in the applied social sciences than there are men, interestingly. So we have probably 50% women, 50% men on our faculty. And in professional meetings, uh, I just got back from an international professional association meeting, there are probably 52% women in that association. So it's lots of progress. A second criteria we use is you've got to be a good teacher. And uh, there is absolutely no gender difference in whether you're a good teacher or not. So that's uh, an irrelevant, I mean, gender becomes irrelevant. Number three criteria for us in my department, and by the way, this is going to sound very egotistical, but we're rated the number one management department in the world. <clears throat> and it's because of criteria number three. You have to be a net positive energizer. You have to add more positive energy to the system than you extract, which means we don't have selfish, self-aggrandizing, crab-like behavior in our department. We have people who are willing to invest in their colleagues. I have 15 people trying to help me get better every day. And it's an and we started that 20 years ago or so, and it's an incredibly, as you can imagine, after 20 years, we have this incredible group of faculty members, world-class scholars, great teachers, and really committed to one another. Well, women and men don't have, there are no differentiations on those criteria. So gender becomes, we, we, we are careful at trying to make certain that we don't in any way, even in uh, unconscious ways, discriminate on the basis of gender. But we have, we're about a 50-50 faculty, fortunately. I learned so much. Oh my goodness, I learned so much from my colleagues. So when you're talking about learning before I get into Hutch, then, you know, because you've worked with Carol. Yes. You know, you've worked with Carol. What have you found working with Carol that has helped you 
potentially working with other coaches and student athletes. Yeah. So uh, there's several things that are, just blow me away when I think of Carol or Hutch. She says her folks call her Carol. All the rest of us call her Hutch. I'll, I'll call <laughs> her Hutch. <laughs> um, so the winningest coach in Michigan history, Hall of Famer. Uh, I mean, every year you sort of just assume, well, the softball program is going to be the elite program on our campus and doesn't get near, nearly as much attention, but you can't get tickets to the games. I mean, holy cow, there's, I can't count the number of times I've tried to go to a softball game and couldn't, couldn't get in. You need to call me, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you in. <laughs> so that's Carol Hutchins. I mean, she's done that. But let me tell you what is so impressive to me. So she's been a coach for... 35 years and one of the reasons that I had a chance to meet her which is a real honor was she said you know what I need to improve my coaching what I'm trying to do is not transform it but I need to get better and so I'm just trying to hunt for ways to have that happen now who do you know who's been in a business for 35 years who's as successful as anybody on the planet who said boy I got to I got to redesign my stroke I got to redesign the way I do things I mean Holy cow, she's, uh, she's an incredible role model for the rest of us. And so the direct answer to your question is, one of the things I've learned is, it doesn't matter how successful you are, how much you've, uh, you're doing well, there's always, a r there's always room to get better and get a lot better and find the ways to do that. She's such a good example of that. 35 years coaching, and during that time, I'm not only have the kids changed, everything's really kind of changed a lot. And you started off, I mean, the, the fields you guys played on right off the bat were basically fields that, uh, I mean, they were just fields. They were not even baseball <laughs> They field. were barely rec fields. Barely rec fields, exactly <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that Kim says that, you know, you look to improve your coaching. Because of the changes that you have seen and what you had to battle through all those years, do you think you always, that kind of helped you develop that feeling, okay, we're going to improve, this is what we have to do, this is how we have to grow? Is that something that you think maybe in the back of your mind maybe has helped you in terms of being that net positive energizer <laughs> for everybody else? Uh, is that? Well, I, I will explore that term, I think. Um, <laughs> it will be my new uh, hashtag because... <laughs> I loved it, and we all we all need to keep evolving. And I think over the years, I mean, I started at 26 years old, and um, yeah, we were basically a program that when you would call the front desk and when Maxine would answer the phone. Back then, we didn't have our direct lines, and we had a desk person. And I had colleagues call and say, "I'd like to speak to Carol Hutchins." And the secretary at the main desk said, "Who is that?" Well, she's your softball coach. Oh, I we don't have softball. So you see, it was um, not an easy no. road. And fortunately, at 26, I didn't even realize it. I didn't know any better. I just thought this is the way it is. We come in every day and we fight for, we fight for what we think we should give these student athletes. And in my mind, I come from a family of three boys and three girls. We should have the same. My mom treated us all. Her biggest quality was she was fair. She wanted to make sure all six of us felt treated equally. And... So that's all we've ever wanted as women in sport, and I think women in business would concur. We just want the same opportunities. So, but that's an evolution that the whole society has gone through. Yeah. And so I think as a coach, you continue to evolve as, yeah, the game today, the game is still the game, but technology, the equipment, the opportunities, the facilities, 
I mean, I can go on and on. You know, are kids different? Kids are raised differently. And you know, social media has become a, I don't know the word for that. It's um, a mixed bag. And um, we have to continue to evolve to try to stay ahead of the game and uh, to create the environment, to create the program that we think Michigan deserves. And that's all we're ever trying to do. You know, Kim, Hutch was talking about how, you know, the kids change, the student-athletes change. That's got to help, I think, keep the people who are in this business young. And that's got to help you because of your ability to work with these students, keep them young. You've seen these changes in these people, and, and Hutch has seen them too. You know, from a business aspect, and then I'll ask Hutch lately, from a business aspect, though, how you know how do you figure out what those changes are going to be <laughs> so that they can grow in the future because you have to look forward i mean That's you right. just can't look back so how how do you do it you know i'll i'll give you a time there to think on that one <laughs> <laughs> right you know it's a great question and people who make a lot of money are the people who predict in advance what the trends are going to be or what the new product is going to be or what the customers will all desire so it's, um, it's, that's a hard job to predict what's going to happen in the future. I don't know anybody who could accurately describe what the world will be like in 10 years. Right. Uh, it's just way too, the change is way too fast, way too transformational and so on. But um, it is possible, and, well, there's a principle, um, Bruce, that uh, it's a little bit of a truism. And the truism is when everything is changing, it is impossible to navigate change or to manage change. So you're in an airplane going 600 miles an hour, everything is changing. You cannot navigate the plane unless you can find something that does not change, like the stars or the ground. That is, there has to be something stable uh, or a standard or something that's unchangeable in order to navigate change. So one of the things that's important to me is, well, what are those things that are anchors that's, that don't change? that people can use then to navigate a chaotic environment, an uncertain environment, brand new things that go on. And of course, for me, that's partly what I'm doing research on now, which has to do with core values, principles, and I sometimes refer to them as virtues. So what we're discovering is when organizations emphasize, integrate, implement virtuous practices, I mean, it's kindness and forgiveness and compassion and so on they do better they make more money more productive better quality fewer errors less waste higher customer satisfaction and so on so with a unpredictable environment and a difficult time predicting what's going to happen in the future at least part of what we try to do is say well these don't change so use this as your guide this is a compass for you and it won't change you know see Carol Hutch is um, one of those people who has seen this over and over. One of the things I'm eager to have her talk about is the difference that she's seen between great teams and good teams. She's, I don't think she's ever had a bad team. I think she's never, she may have started out with a bad team. She didn't end up with a bad team at the end of the season because she's transformed these young women. But there are some of these that are extraordinary. I'm really eager to have her tell us. You know, and, and before you know, we get to that, because that yeah. is something that I want to really get to, but you have that base with softball. I mean, you know, you talk about changes, but you've been able to say, okay, it's still softball. 
it's still the game. And you brought that out before. So when you're taking a look and working with these kids and the changes that you have, do you, is that why you take, uh, uh, you know, Kim Cameron and talk about the virtues and take a look at individuals at how they change so that you have that one base already, which probably both of us didn't know right at right now. But when you're recruiting, you still have to take a look at the different types of kids and how they have changed. So do you bring those type of, I guess, those new core values in, or are they the same core values? What changes in those values? Well, you know, I did get a chance to speak with Kim earlier this summer, and what resonated with me, and this he put it even better today, was you can't navigate the change, but you've got you've to gotta go back to the values that, that make the difference that we're trying to teach these young people. That will, and they're the values for life, which is commitment and loyalty and working hard and teaching them how to do those things because they all come here and think, why well, work hard? And they they don't know what hits them when they start working at our level. And as, as I tell them, the game of softball is it's just a game. But all the things that you put into it, we want, to f- we want them to find their highest level of commitment and competitiveness. We want them to experience this transformation of how to be great. And that is our challenge every year. But you have to really go back to what is your mission and your core values. And mm. over the years, ours have, have stayed pretty steady. But I have found whenever we've gotten caught up more in the change than the core values, things don't go as well for us on the field or off. And um, learning to uh, just stay true to your values is, as a leader, I think, very important. You've got to stay true to your values, and you have to examine your values to make sure that they're in in touch with you know reality. I think more than anything. Is that part the the question that then Kim once answered about what is the difference between a great team and a good team? When I think of, um, I can think of our two best teams, which was of course '05 and '2015. And we've had a lot of good teams. I mean, we've had a lot of great teams. Mm-hmm. When you can make the College World Series and be one of the top eight teams out of 300 teams in Division One, and people talk a lot about, well, yeah, and from Michigan. None of us ever talk about Michigan being an, an obstacle. We go to Michigan, you are one of 20 women in the world that get to wear the Block M. That's one of our core values. I, or It's one of our first things we statements we make with our kids it's it's a privilege beyond all privileges and when they can look at it from that view they realize they're privileged to get to go down to the brand new performance center that 190 million dollar center and get to be their best physical self and all the resources we provide it's a privilege and it's an honor and it's our duty all of us that get to wear it to wear it with the highest of integrity and respect the block m and those great teams have been able to embrace that better than most. And I look at our 05 team and our 2015 team and our dugout, the kids in the dugout that didn't really play. Their roles might be pinch runner, bullpen catcher, backup depth player, depth player. Those kids were as involved in every pitch in the game as the starting pitcher, the starting catcher, the starting shortstop, the starting hitter. They were so into our team, into our success. And I found that our greatest teams, everybody has a role and embraces it because they embrace the Black M. Because they're really all about, they're committed to this opportunity to be at Michigan and the opportunity that we provide them 
that is, I don't know that anybody in the world has what we have here at Michigan to provide to our student athletes. And we have snow on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little added. But we, that's, those kids have come together and committed for a cause that's bigger than themselves and it's greater than themselves. And uh, that is the ultimate goal of in our benchmark for success is did our kids really embrace those qualities because it really isn't about hitting the ball and catching the ball those things come out if you play the best when you are you know when you're all in so when you take a look at that and then you take a look at your alums do you see that as a growth positive piece that they've really been able to use as they go on in their careers I have had a lot of uh, kids in 35 years, and I'm, I've never had a, an athlete. I've only had a couple in my entire career that really don't come back. Hmm. You know, not everybody has the perfect experience. But the kids, every one of them, they come back and they tell the stories, and they're not stories of winning games. They're stories of the experiences they've had I use the example of when one of my alums from the 90s had her first baby. And she sent a long email to tell me how all of her preparation for the time mile and the difficult, adverse uh, situations we'd put her in got her through those moments of having her baby. That was her analogy. And uh, those, they, they come back with stories of all the things that they learned. My, well, one of my uh, lawyers... She called me and said, I, um, I had my first trial today, and I had to go before the judge. I said, well, how was it? It was nothing compared to getting called into your office. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, those kids, they, you know, most kids don't put it all together until they're done. Some, some do while they're here, but the majority of kids, when they get out in the real world, they come back with so many, like, oh, my gosh. Now I now I get it. Now I see what you were talking about, and now I know what it's like when I sit in a boardroom and, you know, people aren't all on the same page, and they learn a lot. Nothing like really understanding teamwork to go out in whatever profession you go into. You're always part of a team. When are you just your own entrepreneur? Occasionally, you got to work with other people, whether you like them or not. You've got to achieve success, whatever that success looks like. You learn it in these fields. Hutch. Thanks. I'm going to tell you, Kim, every time we, we sit with a coach and a student athlete, we learn something new. Uh, today we did, though, learn a new word there we're going to use as the hashtag net positive energizer. Oh, I'm going. Oh, that's <laughs> something going that, uh, yeah, so, uh, but again, you know, uh, the thing is what Hutch is talking about, I mean, do you, how much, do you always, you don't see that that often no, in I, business, and why? That's right. She's She's an incredible role model. I mean... I have a son, I think I mentioned uh, once, that I have a son who was a professional athlete, play, play, played professional basketball, and he was the captain of his team, and he's now working for Pepsi. And he said, I, I compare myself to some of these colleagues who have had MBAs and higher education. He said, I feel like I'm better prepared as a result of being an athlete and especially having to motivate and you know, having some responsibility in that team. I think I'm better prepared than those who spent two more years of full-time education. Now, that doesn't mean I would ever encourage anybody not to get an MBA, especially <laughs> at the law school. But, boy, I am so convinced that athletics teaches lessons you cannot learn any other way. You can't learn some lessons without having a baby. Or you, c you can't learn to ride a bike by 
reading a book. I mean, you got to you got to do it. And Hutch is transforming these young women in ways that they don't even know, as she mentioned, uh, until they get out there and say, "Boy, I, I I've got capabilities and talents and skills I didn't know I had, and and I'm a way ahead. I'm a I'm a couple of steps ahead of the people who haven't had it." Well, I will say this, you know, at the University of Michigan, we've, and I've used this line before, we've always used one name to describe some of our great coaches, Yost, hmm. Bo, you know, Fritz, Red, you know, and uh, in softball, it's Hutch, and, right. and that's not softball, it's in life, and uh, I yeah, think, you know, you. Uh, you know, listening to Hutch, we can uh, all say that uh, we love what she's done at the University of Michigan, but we love more what she's done for those student athletes. So again, I want to thank uh, Carol Hutchins and of course, Kim Cameron for being part of today's podcast. And I remind our listeners that Kim's book, Diagnosing and Changing Organizational Culture is for sale. If they'd like to read more on the subject, uh, get it on the internet, take a look at it because uh, culture does change and it's very important and sports plays an important role in it. Again, we'll be back with more on these podcasts uh, in the future. I'd like to thank our listeners and, again, thank Kim and Carol Hutchins for being part of the podcast today. So be with us again when we bring more about the Michigan difference in sports. And I'm Bruce Mate. Thank you for being with us today. This has been another edition of Beyond the Wins and Losses, a podcast discussing the Michigan difference with sports. This podcast is a combined effort by the University of Michigan Athletic Department and the Ross School of Business Executive Education working together to advance the University of Michigan mission to serve the people of Michigan and the world through preeminence in creating, communicating, preserving, and applying knowledge, art, and academic values, and in developing leaders and citizens who will challenge the present and enrich the future.